0: As we open the word of second Thessalonians uh, together, father, we do thank you for the promise that we have in your word. Thank you for the hope that we have through Jesus Christ, knowing that because of his perfect life, his perfect sacrifice, that we can have a relationship with you, that we can have eternal life with you. And God, we thank you for the truth that that song implies that it is your ability, it is what you've done through Christ that saves us. It's not our ability to believe. You even give us the faith to believe. It's not even our faithfulness. But it is you who sustain us and keep us and hold us, secure us, seal us until that day when you come back. So, God, we do thank you and praise you for the hope that we have through Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather freely, to assemble as your people, and to consider your word together as we look back on the things that you instructed our forefathers, our brothers and sisters in Christ who've gone before us by many centuries. And yet the things that they encountered, the way that the things that they learned give us hope, give us understanding, even here today. So, God, I pray that you would speak by the truth of your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we might be changed as we submit and surrender and yield our lives to you each and every day help us we pray in christ's name amen amen well if you have your copy of god god's word and would like to open to the book of second thessalonians um please go ahead and do that you can it's about halfway through the the new testament a little more than halfway through the new testament Um, And and while you're turning there, I want to just sort of give us a little bit of a a background, a little bit of an environment to to help us understand. If you remember last week, we looked at First Thessalonians. And um, if you think back last week, we talked about the fact that we we heard a little bit about how the church at Thessalonica was founded in as we could read about it in, in Acts chapter 17. But I want you to think about this timeline. Think about how this kind of worked out. Paul and Silas end up in Thessalonica right? They're there for about three weeks They're, He's preaching the gospel on, on the Saturdays, on the Sabbath in the synagogue there. And a lot of people are coming to faith. So many people that the, the, the established religious leaders stand up and say, Whoa, we got to do something about this. So much, so many people came to faith that the people on who are not believers at all, who are not God worshiping the pagans, the, the society, all those people began to look at what was happening and say, we have to squash this. And so they persecuted Paul and Silas, threw them in jail, kicked them out of town. A few weeks later, um, they, as they're traveling around, they send Timothy back to, to help the church get established. Because they only had this three, four week foundation. So Timothy came back and talked to Paul and Silas, helped them understand, hey, here's the things that the church is in, in, encountering. And we, we saw that, the result of that in First Thessalonians. But then persecution continued and people began to wonder, what is going on? Why are we enduring this? Has the day of the Lord happened? And so some people began to postulate and some people began to instruct people in new things saying, oh, the day of the Lord is already here. This is the day of the Lord. We're in that season. And so just a few weeks after he wrote first Thessalonians, Paul gets word of the Things that are happening there in Thessalonica. And he sits down, he and Silas and Timothy sit down and they write Second Thessalonians. And it seems like as they laid out these, as, as Paul and Silas lay out the arguments in this little three chapter book. He's really trying to encourage them as they continue to demonstrate maturity in the midst of the persecution that they're encountering. Because for this church, it it was, it was, it was a hotbed of persecution. And yet they were growing in the midst of that. But he seems to have this second purpose, and that is to clarify misunderstandings that they had about the day of the Lord. And then thirdly, he has to come back to a theme that he talked about in the first First letter to the Thessalonians, and that is to challenge those who were being idle, to challenge those who were who were not doing what they had called them to, what God had called them to. And so if you want to take notes, we're going to be looking through each, taking just a little view of each chapter this morning. One of the, one of the cool things that Paul does is at the end of each chapter, he didn't write in chapters, uh, the editors, whomever did this sort of divided it out. But one of the things that Paul does is he, he hits a topic. And then he almost prays a prayer of benediction over the Thessalonians for that topic. And then he hits another one. And at the end of chapter two, he has another little benediction. And then he talks about the the third one and has a final one. So we'll get to see as we walk through each chapter of the book very briefly today, how what Paul is saying to them and how he is encouraging them or really what his prayer is. And so if you want to take notes, the, the very first point is this. Paul is giving them a perspective A a proper perspective amidst the persecution and that proper perspective is hope. That proper perspective is hope. If you remember in the first letter, Paul talked about the persecution that he faced and the persecution that the Thessalonians were facing. And then here he takes some time to encourage them in what they have learned because they had learned Some of what he was trying to get across, because if you remember in the first one, he's encouraging them to pursue faith and hope and love. And look at what he says in Second Thessalonians, chapter three, chapter one, verses three to four. It says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Last week we talked a little bit about that triad of faith and love and and hope. And here it appears that they at least had started to get two of those. Their faith was growing, they were maturing, and their love was expanding as they learned how to show that. If you remember that combination of brotherly and unconditional love to one another. But here's the thing. Their growth didn't just happen in a vacuum. Their growth happened in in a furnace their growth happened in the heat of persecution that they had been in and i think it's something that we can be encouraged by in fact the way that paul lays it down you think well why in the world would persecution be something that we can be encouraged by nobody wants to go through that but here's the thing so often we think that it's only in those easy times that we grow. It's only in those times when we can spend hours pouring over the word of God and meditating on it, and going to conferences and doing all these things. But oftentimes it, it, it is in those most difficult times of life that one will find God nearest and will find our growth happening most fully. So when we encounter those challenges, I encourage you to not run from them, but press into what God is doing. But I think Paul is providing a beautiful, a beautiful example for us by giving them encouragement before he gives them exhortation. You see, Paul eventually in this letter is going to give them some things that they have to do. He's going to correct some thinking in their lives. But he starts by encouraging them as they're walking through this persecution. And I know for me, as a dad, I can learn a bit about this from Paul, especially when it comes to my kids. There are so many times when I'll think, oh, man, I really wish my son would do this or my daughter would do that or my other daughter would do that. And I go and talk to them and say, will you please do this? When are you going to get this right? But Paul gives us this beautiful example. He says, you are doing so well in this before he gets to the thing that he wants them to fix. And I think it's, I know it's something for me, Zach, Zoe, it's something I need to learn very well. Um, You know, how often are we telling other people what they need to fix? without encouraging them in what they are doing well. But I think Paul also, you know, as Paul, this whole idea of persecution really makes me wonder, what is my response to suffering and to persecution? Do I moan and complain about the trials that I experience? Or do I press in by faith? And pursue what God's purpose might be behind it. Beloved, relatively speaking, (laughs) if we were to put all of us up here before all of our brothers and sisters around the world in various countries, we've got it easy. I mean, this is a cakewalk for us. But I do think things will get more difficult. As our society continues to move away from God, as things continue to happen, as, as the views, the biblical views that we hold are attacked, we in turn will be attacked. And we need to be prepared to have that mindset of understanding that God allows these things, God allows those persecutions to, to refine and to grow our faith. But I think he also allows it to be kind of a a pruning for us. This week, um, uh, Carl and and Vern and I were going to attend a conference in in Indianapolis. As it happened, we we didn't go there. We got to watch it all online, which meant we got to be around here and do things around here and, 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 and things like that. But one of the things that came out of that conference, it was called the Gospel Coalition Conference. And one of the things that came out of that was this thought about the pandemic that we're in, because if you think about it, remember it was March 13th of last year that the governing authorities in our area basically said, no, got to shut down. And we, we. Pulled down to whatever they told us we were allowed to do. And then we streamed it from the basement of where we were. Streamed the service from the basement of where we were staying for a while. And, and as soon as they would let us open up, we would do as much as we could. We would push the envelope as best we can. But think about this. There are some churches who are still not open. Everything they're doing is Virtual. And so some people will wonder, wonder, well, why, God, would you allow this kind of pandemic? I mean, you have this sickness that's happening. You have all these deaths. I just heard this week that there are now 3 million people who have lost their lives around the world somehow related to the coronavirus. God, why would you allow this to happen? And some of the people at the at the Gospel Coalition Conference suggested that maybe this is a time As we look at it as a church for God to prune us, to snip off those extra things, to cut away some of those dead branches that are preventing growth from happening within. When we get to the other side of this pandemic, church might not look the same as it did before. And I don't know that that's a bad thing. I don't know what things God is pruning exactly in us or in the church in North America as a whole. But I think we need to continue to press in by faith and say, God, what are you doing? What do I need to learn on the other side of this that I'm not learning right now that I that I ignored before? But I think one of the one of the other things as we get back to. Sorry, the commercial aside, let's come back to Second Thessalonians. If you look in chapter one, verse five. Paul provides this perspective of hope amidst the persecution they have. He said, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. And that word this seems to point back to the persecution that they were encountering. On one hand, it looks like the persecution has a purpose for revealing who is worthy of the kingdom of God. Jesus told his disciples is that they hate me. They're going to hate you, too. This may be because they're considered worthy. Why so many believers and we read about it in the book of Matthew and also in the book of Acts. So many believers rejoice, have an attitude of rejoicing amidst persecution. In fact, in Acts chapter five, verse forty one, they were they rejoice that they were counted worthy To suffer for the sake of Christ. You know, we don't have a clear understanding of the depth of persecution that the Thessalonians experienced. But it must have been intense. As it shows up in both letters. So this persecution has a pruning purpose, but I think there's also a sense of hope. Look at what Paul says in chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. And from the glory of his might, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. Paul's trying to give them this hope, basically saying that those who inflicted the persecution will themselves be punished at the last day. They will suffer because of the suffering they inflicted. In many ways, Paul has taken a really long time to say what we've seen several times over the course of Scripture. And that is when God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, declares the Lord. And we can find hope in that. We can find hope in understanding that God sees what, is, what his believers, what his people are going through. And he will not let those who inflict that go unpunished. But it's his fight. It's his fight. We can and must find hope in the promise that God will repay. God has our back. If our rights are taken away, he has our back. If our freedoms are removed, he has our back. But, beloved, the retribution may not be in this life. You know, as Americans, we like to sue people. We like to pull out lawyers and say, I want retribution now. And yet, as believers, we must have the attitude that God has our back. As I mentioned at the beginning, Paul concludes each section of this book with a benediction or a prayer. And in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 11 and 12, Paul is hoping that God will be glorified and honored through them in the midst of the persecution they're facing. Look at what he says there. Verses 11 and 12. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good. And every good work of faith by his power. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. And you in him. According to the grace of our God. And the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, keep growing. Through the difficulties. Keep growing through the trials that God allows you to encounter. And may God be glorified through us in every circumstance. So Paul helps the, the Thessalonians to have a proper perspective of hope, but then he shifts back. So he's, he's encouraged them. And now he's shifting back to a topic that they misunderstood a topic that permeated the first letter as he helps them gain a pre- precise understanding of the day of the Lord. Let me read this whole section for us, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation because it, it, it takes out some of the technical and, you know, the the wooden way that some of the more accurate translations will say things. It's still, it's still accurate, but I, anyways, just hear it out. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 12, it says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have a spiritual vision or a revelation or a letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day will not come until there is until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The one who brings destruction, he will exalt himself and defy everything that the people call God and every object of worship. And he, he will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that that I told you about this when I was with you? And now you know what is holding, and you know what is holding him back for. He can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawless, lawlessness is already at work secretly and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. And then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. But the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and will destroy him by the splendor of his coming. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles And he will use every kind of evil deception to fool those who are on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe his lies. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing in truth. So Paul apparently had explained this to him in person, and now he puts it in writing. And he essentially says that there will be two prerequisites. He only explains the two here. We see other signs in in other places of Scripture. But he says basically there's going to be a great rebellion against God, and there'll be this man of lawlessness. Somebody will be revealed, and we'll see this person who's going to rise up against God. Elsewhere, this person is called the Antichrist. And now it's difficult to know exactly what these things will be. The ESV Study Bible suggests that this rebellion will be a global rebellion against God Himself, and we've seen waves of that over the centuries, as as revivals have come and then gone away, and people bring in other things. And, and I think we see a lot of that happening now here in the United States, as we experience a sort of moral and sexual revolution. But I think that the, the thing that Paul is trying to get across is that we won't miss the day of the Lord. We won't be able to mistake it for some other day. I think it'll be so clear. They'll be like, oh, yeah, this is the day of the Lord. We won't know when. And so I think in many ways we can't get hung up on information that God has not given us the privilege of knowing. But we can do something now. We can stand firm and not be shaken and not be alarmed by what's going on around us. And while Paul is talking specifically about the doctrine of the second coming, I think his application to stand firm applies to us in a variety of areas. There's a popular thing going on these days called deconstruction or or what some people call the ex-evangelical movement. It's where people who've grown up in evangelical churches begin to question their faith so much that they move away from it altogether. And renowned Bible teachers and leaders are are casting doubt into people's lives. And, and in many ways, it comes from a sincere place, a sincere longing to understand, God, is this how you are? How does this mesh? How do I put all this together to understand you and your word more fully? We all have questions. And yet what seems to happen is that People take these questions and these doubts, and rather than coming to a brother and sister in Christ, saying, "Help me understand this," they'll go to the internet. Will go to some unnamed, some named person who doesn't know them, and they'll ask questions of that person, not in person, but they'll look at their writings, they'll listen to their podcasts, they'll look at all these other things, and find. That these people have totally lost faith in everything that God stands for. They've taken the hard things of scripture and said, oh, it's too hard for me to believe, so it must not be true. And so I want to encourage you when you have questions, because we all will, we all will have questions, we'll all have doubts how can God be a good God and allow suffering? How can God be a good God and, and be a, yet be a God of justice and, and allow a whole slew of people to be separated from him for eternity? These are big questions. And obviously we wrestle with the kids with that this morning in Kids Connection. But I want to encourage you, rather than sitting in your doubt and going over here to someone who doesn't know you, Take your question to a brother or sister in Christ who does know you say, Hey, help me walk through this. And I want to encourage you mature brother or sister in Christ. If someone comes to you and says, I'm not sure that I believe that anymore. Don't discount them. Don't belittle them for questioning. Walk with them through it. That's what God gave us the church to do. He gave us the church to be that community of growth where we can all grow spiritually. Because eventually, you know, as children, they grow up and eventually they get to a place where it's no longer their parents' faith that they own. They have to own it for themselves. And it takes some time to process through that. So let me encourage you. When you have doubts, bring it to a brother or sister in Christ who can help you walk through that. Someone who knows you, who cares, who's invested in you. And when that person comes to you, brother or sister in Christ, walk with them through that. Don't belittle it. Don't discount it. Walk with them through it. And just as Paul did at the end of chapter one, he provides a prayer of blessing for the Thessalonians. Chapter two, verses 16 to 17, he said, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, our father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and a good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. You see, it seems like Paul is praying that they would be comforted by Jesus Christ and God and the knowledge that the day of the Lord is still ahead. They haven't missed it. They're not going to be able to miss it. You see, he's already given us this eternal comfort knowing that our sins are atoned for and that we have nothing to fear. He has given us a good hope for the future through grace resting in the promise that Jesus, who conquered our sin and rose from the grave will raise us anew to life in the future. And in light of that, he's asking that they may be established and strengthened in work, in, in how they live, and in word, how they speak. So after giving them some hope in the constant persecution that they experienced and correcting some misunderstandings about the day of the Lord, Paul concludes his letter with a challenge to have a proper work ethic. This is in chapter three. He begins this chapter by asking them to pray for them. Paul, Timothy and Silas, as they continue to minister. Melody read that a little bit earlier. He also expresses his faith that God is at work establishing them, strengthening them. But then he comes to the final and very direct command. Look at what it says in chapter three, verse six. He says, now we command you brothers in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, not in accord with the traditions that you received from us. And a few verses later in in verse 10, he expounds a bit more saying, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons, we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. See, if you remember last week when we looked at first Thessalonians, it seemed like because some people felt like the day of the Lord was at hand. Some of these guys quit their jobs. They stopped working. They said, well, I don't need to do anything. Christ is coming back soon. So what good is it if I if I go work for the government? What good is it if I go work at the mill or work in the shop? It's just just nothing. Christ is coming back. Well, as that time delayed, all their savings kind of ran out. And so they would have to go, hey, hey, Zach, can you help me out? Hey, hey Mark, I'm out of money. Can you help me? Robin, you, you you have any extra extra food? And so these people now who who have put faith in the fact that the day of the Lord was coming, they believed a lie. They thought, I don't need to work anymore. So Paul is very direct with them. And he's direct with the brothers and sisters around them. He's commanding the believers who are working to stay away from the idol. Don't get caught up into that. Don't enable their behavior. Tell them to work. But he's also commanding the idol to get to work. But here's the thing. Paul doesn't address the theological or or eschatological reasons, the second coming reasons for their idleness. Because he already did that in the first, first book and in the previous chapter. And instead, he encourages them to look back on his own example. Look at what it says in chapter 3, verses 7 and 9. It says, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But we toil and labor and worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. And it was not because we do not have that right but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. You see, in Paul's ministry, he sought to be an example of how he lived. He didn't depend on others when he would go around to these different cities. People would often send him with gifts, and and at times he received them, at times he gave them to other places. But Paul, as a tent maker, would, would take his materials and would build tents and repair tents and do all those types of things as he traveled around. He didn't ask the Thessalonians to do something that he was unwilling to do himself. He walked with complete integrity and urged them to do the same. And so, beloved, I want to ask us, how is our example for others around us? Is there complete harmony between our lives And our teaching, not just in this area of idleness and and busybodiness. I don't I don't see that as a problem for us here at Poolsville Baptist. If anything, being in America, we may go the other way of being workaholics. Right. But, you know, while we can't expect to be perfect, I think we can expect to be in, in the process of perfecting. So are there inconsistencies between what we say and what we do? And if there are, we need to make sure those line up with the word of God and they are consistent. And then Paul again concludes this section with a final series of instructions. Essentially saying, keep going, but avoid the idol. Chapter 3, verse 13 to 15. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. For if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may not be ashamed, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And then as he did in each of the other chapters, he concludes with with a benediction and we'll get to the benediction at the at the end of the service. But in in closing, I, I think it's important for us to reflect on a couple things. You see, Paul has covered three very different topics. He's talked about the hope of the hope that they have in the midst of persecution. He's talked about the day of the Lord, and he's talked about a proper work ethic. And yet even in the midst of all three of these things, I think there's a, a common thread. You see, we can't control if or when or how we will be persecuted. But we can remain faithful. Trusting the Lord, doing the things that he called us to, fulfilling the assignments that he has placed before us. In addition to that, we can't control when Jesus will, will return or when strange doctrines will arise because they are always cropping up. When, you see, one of the challenges of a capitalist culture that we live in is that everybody's got to see something new and fresh in order to sell books, in order to sell audios. In order to draw attention. So we're constantly being bombarded with something new. We won't always see those coming. But we can continue to walk faithfully in community. Recognizing that we are part of a kingdom that will not be shaken. If you have your Bibles, this isn't on a slide. If you have your Bibles, flip forward a few books to Hebrews chapter 12. I want to just encourage us with something that was very encouraging to me this week. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. You see, one of the things that we see is that as you look throughout history, there have been kingdoms rise and fall. There have been empires rise and fall. There have been movements that have risen and fallen. There are all these things that are continuing to strengthen and weaken over time. It's just the way history happens. But look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. Starting in verse 28. It says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You see, amidst all the rise and fall of these other kingdoms, all the rise and fall of these other movements, all the rise and fall of anything ever, everywhere, the kingdom of God is still at work and is moving and gaining in power. And one day, Jesus Christ will come back and in Person, reign and rule. God is a consuming fire. So even though the world around us is going to shake, even though the world, the politics and all that kind of stuff is going to change and cause so much turmoil, we should not be shaken. But grow in faith, recognizing that God will bring vindication and judgment so we can, we don't know when all that's going to happen, we can walk faithfully now. And... Thirdly, as I said, I don't see idleness as a threat for us, but those of us with jobs or businesses keep working for the glory of God, that God might be honored in what we do. For those who are retired or don't need to work outside the home, keep keep working in the ministry that God has given you. Be diligent. Don't become lazy. Don't get sucked into the culture of entertainment. And finally... If you're not yet a follower of Christ, let me just talk to you briefly. When Paul and his ministry partners were traveling around to these various cities, they did so to proclaim a message of hope and peace. A message of love And judgment, you see, here's here's the big picture in in just a a snapshot. God created all things. He created everything good and he created with purpose and he created all humanity in his image. And so you and I are all image bearers of God. And yet we learn from Scripture that humanity, rather than choosing to walk with God and in this stewarding process, because God in in creating us in in his image basically said, I want you to rule. Over this world. Take care of it the way that I would take care of it. And yet instead of choosing to do it with God in that way. We have chosen to rebel against God. Basically say, no, I don't like your way. I want my way. And that is sin. We messed things up with sin. Humanity messed things up with sin, rebelling against God, thinking that we can do it our own way. But Jesus Christ came essentially to say, let me show you God's way. And it's going to start by dealing with your sin problem. And so he lived a perfect life. And as we celebrated a few weeks ago, God placed on him all of our sin. And he took it to the cross Bearing it in his body on the cross, took it to the grave and then conquered forever that eternal punishment of sin. By rising from the dead so that we can walk with God in, in eternity for eternity, but it's not it's everybody's not going to do that. Some people are simply going to choose not to believe what God's way is not to believe that what Jesus Christ did. And so we have to receive this by faith. And so our job now is to learn the ways of Jesus, to live that out and proclaim the good news of what Jesus did and how he is going to return one day. And one day he will judge punishing those who reject him, rewarding those who believe, who have trusted in him. So if you're not a follower of Christ, I pray that today would be the day that you turn and trust what Christ has done and allow the kingdom that God intended for this world to be lived out through you. Just as we as believers are seeking to allow the kingdom of God to be lived out through us. I pray that you will trust in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this book. Thank you for the things that you're instructing us in there. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk in faithfulness amidst every circumstance, whether blessing or persecution. Help us to walk in faithfulness, not being idle, but being busy about the work that you've called us to, busy about our Father's business, until you come again. Help us, we pray, in Christ's name, amen, amen.